truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. Greetings and welcome to a jam-packed Tuesday here on the Steve Day Show, live and on demand on Blaze TV, radio and podcast. I am Steve Day, Todd and Aaron are alongside as well. If you'd like to join us too, 888-900-3393 is the number, 888-900-3393. Or you can take advantage of the stevedace.com inbox, email the program steve at stevedace.com. That's D-E-A-C-E for those of you on radio or podcast. And if you are listening today to the podcast, if you wouldn't mind giving us one of those uh, five-star reviews, we would be grateful because the more of those we get, the more the algorithms like us, the more they help us find more people like you, and therefore the more we get to continue to do this for a living, which we and our families appreciate as well. You can also like us on Facebook, who on any given day may or may not like us, and follow us on Twitter for now, at Steve Day Show. We've got Pop Culture Tuesday coming your way next hour as a, a fascinating trend that began last year for villains in mainstream blockbuster Hollywood movies has continued now for at least a third time. How can they not know what they are saying? How can they be so not self-aware? But we'll talk about that with Pop Culture Tuesday later uh, in the broadcast where we look at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. We'll have some fake news or not, and Todd and Aaron will render their verdicts uh, on this week's batch of clips. We're going to be joined at the bottom of the hour by a college professor who recently wrote in an academic journal that just merely preaching social sciences isn't going to be enough to deal with what's happening with America's mass shooter problem. We'll talk to him here at the bottom of the hour. But before we get to all of that, first, here's Aaron with a rundown of what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Turbulence. Far left protesters somehow found the address of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell's home last night. Just stab the m- in the heart, please. We're at McConnell's house. This think he's about to get some rest. Not if the kill the children that you're kidnapping can't get any rest. Not if families who are getting murdered can't get any rest. F- Mitch! Ditch Mitch! Ditch Mitch! McConnell is at home recovering from a broken shoulder he sustained during a fall. This came after a day of hashtag massacre Moscow Mitch trending on Twitter. Also trending yesterday is the notion that violent video games are the cause of mass shootings like what we saw over the weekend. That came after President Trump made mention of it during his address yesterday. Second, we must stop the glorification of violence in our society. This includes the gruesome and grisly video games that are now commonplace. It is too easy today for troubled youth to surround themselves with a culture that celebrates violence. Joe Biden also echoed some of the sentiment that President Trump shared. When I mentioned that the president talked about video games today as being part of the problem, you, I, I saw you kind of rolled your eyes. It, it's something that people have talked about for a long time. I've talked about it too, but it, not, it, it is not healthy to have these games teaching kids that, you know, with all of the dispassionate notion that you can shoot somebody and just, you know, sort of blow their brains out. It, 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 but, but video but, games but, are popular in Japan. and they No, they are. That's my of... point. But it's not, in and of itself, 
the reason why we have this carnage on our streets. The FBI warned yesterday to beware of copycat attacks in the wake of the latest mass shootings. And now, reaction. First, the New York Times. Conservatism has a violence problem. The Times also changed their front-page headline from Trump urges unity versus racism to assailing hate but not guns. CNN has announced a program scheduled for this week entitled America Under Assault, The Gun Crisis, hosted by this guy. Let alone this whack whataboutism that we need to talk about lefty extremism as well, or we're not being fair. All extremism from any corner that turns to violence as political expression is terrorism. But remember this, it's not a both sides issue. The stats are clear. The Anti-Defamation League says right-wing extremists killed more people last year than in any year since 1995, the Oklahoma City bombings. Over the past decade, three quarters of extremist-related fatalities have been associated with domestic right wing extremists. And there's also this. Maria Beto has said he is running in the name of decency and democracy. As bad as this may sound, could this moment be a chance for Beto to gain some momentum? The president never tones down his rhetoric. In fact, uh, for those of you who are funding Donald Trump's re-election campaign, you may want to take note that because you keep writing checks to this president, it's on you. It really is. It's all on you because you are funding this white supremacist campaign, CEOs. You really are. Business people, millionaires and billionaires, it's your money that is funding this white supremacy because you won't tell him to stop. You know it and I know it. It's the well of evil from which our president draws and has drawn from the first day when he said Mexico was sending rapists to the U.S., presumably with the explicit intent to defile America's women. The dark sorcery of racial hatred that conjures invasions and infestations out of desperate fellow human beings seeking refuge. That's just a few of the incalculable number of reactions and hot takes from this weekend's events and President Trump's address yesterday. In other news, the Dow Jones Industrial Average dropped 767 points yesterday, the worst day of 2019. This came as news that China is devaluing its currency for the first time in a decade. News also dropped yesterday that China is planning to suspend agricultural product purchases from the U.S. in response to Trump's announcement of new tariffs on Chinese goods last week. China is the number four market for U.S. farm products. And finally, here's something that doesn't suck. Miami Marlins rookie Isan Diaz was at his first at-bat for the Marlins while his father was being interviewed by the TV crew. Here's what happened. It's an emotional day for you. Very, very emotional. And that's what happened while we were away. You know, I knew that was coming, and I still got a little chill uh, on the back of the neck uh, when that uh, when when that clip hit. Aaron's montage brought to you by realestateagentsitrust.com. Maybe your neighborhood's like mine. Taking advantage of a booming market, now you've got all kinds of real estate signs in your hood, including maybe a few companies that previously weren't there and some you've never heard of. So how do you know that, that when it's your turn to, to go into the market, whether it's to sell or buy? 
or buy and sell. How do you know that you're going to end up with a real estate agent that you can trust? And that's where realestateagentsitrust.com comes into play because what sets this apart from other referral services is this isn't about finding clients for agents. It's about finding an agent worthy of having you for a client. An agent who has a, a, a track record of proven success, who's got a marketing plan other than rip and read from the algorithms in the office or let's do another open house. And somebody who's personable and returns calls uh, that you have a rapport with because it's a very relational process between you and your agent. If you'd like to find an agent that you can trust, it's as simple as hitting the website, realestateagentsitrust.com. Again, that's realestateagentsitrust.com. All right, let's get to Aaron's montage. And I don't, I don't care about any of that media reaction. I mean, I, I just don't care about any of it. And, and the vast majority of Americans don't and aren't watching it. Um, uh, reading it, uh, they're, they're speaking to an audience. of a, They're in a foreign country and view you as a hostile foreign country. So I don't really care about any of that. Where I do think it's, it's instructive, though, is when you see the, the difference in the headlines between the two editions of the New York Times. To me, that's the, that's the only part there that I think is relevant to the rest of us that live in what's left of America because it gives you an idea now that what, it, what occurred is that headline, I was, I was sitting around online last night, um, watching some football film and uh, Master Chef reruns on Hulu with the wife when when that headline emerged on the New York from on the New York Times last evening. And I saw a bunch of of conservative Twitter thanking them for running a balanced headline. And then it was later in the evening when the second headline ran. Let me tell you why they did that. Because the natives were restless in their country. The people who live in their America weren't having any neutrality. And that's their customer base. You're not reading it. You're not subscribing it. In many respects, the left American media is at the ultimate conclusion of where the Republican Party is now. Several years ago, the Republican Party had a choice to make, which is its major donors wanted them to move the left on issues like immigration, especially immigration. Chief among them being the Kochs, Sheldon Adelson, also very pro-Israel, but also very pro-amnesty, right? So their big corporate donors wanted them to move left on, on several cultural issues, number one among them, immigration. The problem is the base was moving further to the right. And so when the Republican Party started moving more to the left on this issue, the base stopped uh, supporting the party at the rate that it used to. Well, the party then had to go back to those donors to get more money to replace the grassroots support. And the cost of that more money was moving further to the left on those issues. And then they move further to the left, and the less their base is willing, the grassroots is willing to support them, which means they have to keep going back to these donors and moving further and further and further to the left. This, this is the vicious cycle the Republican Party is in now. It's the same thing that happens every time they try to tackle an issue, whether it's health care. It's happening right now on guns. I'm going to talk about that here in a moment. But the media, the left American media, is the, is the ultimate conclusion of this. You saw through their bias 10, 20 years ago, and then the internet came along about that same time, and you're like, why am I buying any of this anyway? I'm not doing it. So the more that, the, the more that everyday America, actual, what's left of actual America, began to abandon them, the further they had to, they had to now replace you with 
outright propaganda, partisan activism for a particular side. And I mean, I, I, I lived through this in my own career. My own former newspaper tried to hire me back as a columnist after the 2012 election. And when their, when their op-ed pay, ed, editor, Randy Evans was his name, took me to lunch to propose this to me, I said to him right at the lunch, I had just gotten done in the campaign doing dozens of appearances on MSNBC on panels as a token conservative. I'm like, why don't you just become, you know, MSNBC in print openly? You know, just admit this is who you are and that's who you're catering to. And he flat out told me we'd like to, but the reality is the numbers in Iowa, we can't, we can't make a living doing that. There's not enough of those people in Iowa. So we need to have some modicum of balance. Well, when they tried to present some modicum of balance, there was an outright rebellion. They promoted my column coming on the front page and then never ran it and then never explained to their audience why. Well, that's indicative of, of, of what you're seeing here in, with the New York Times. Matt Gates, the congressman, has a, a tweet out today saying he, ha- he was canceled on, what was it, two or three different appearances from CNN yeah. yesterday, all right? Because we, 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 they're a big thing. We can't get anybody to come on. Now, I would tell Matt Gates not to come on. There's, it's a pointless exercise. But if he wants to go on there and dunk on them, okay. Well, I guess they, he kept scheduling it and multiple shows canceled on him. So what's happened here is the more that you have, you and I have decided they're just not legitimate. They're not interested in, in, in being remotely professional or fair. The more partisan then they have to become to stay afloat to replace a lost customer base. And you saw that play itself out last night when they did an actual, uh, an actual headline on, on the president's talk about guns and the gun violence that happened over the weekend in El Paso and Dayton. And their people were like, uh, that's not what we can. We didn't come here for actual uh, journalism. And we, 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 we came here for, uh, you're, you're not going to be like, you know, Shepard Smith at Fox News or Chris Wallace. No, we're not, we're not paying for any unicorns here. We're not, we're not, we're not, and you're certainly not going to be a Brett Bear, you know. Wallace and Shepard Smith are just opposite of hacks of the, of the other hacks that you may not like at Fox. Bear and his crew are actually trying to do like legit opinion and journalism, old school way. They're not even going to tolerate that. So, so they rebelled against their own newspaper, and their new own newspaper corrected their error in the following editions. And that's all you need to know. You shouldn't watch any of that. Shouldn't read any of it. And not even to find out what the other side thinks. I used to think that was a valuable commodity. And with rare exceptions, it's not even that. It's, you're, it's, it's Al Jazeera America. It's, it's Pravda, TASS. I mean, it's the Iranian news agency. It, it, it's, it serves no purpose on any level. It, 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 it's reminiscent of what Robin Williams impersonating Richard Nixon once said about his nether regions in the movie um, Good Morning Vietnam, soft, shallow, and serves no purpose, okay? I'm far more concerned when a um, (coughs) Tea Party Congress introduces uh, legislation yesterday, and he goes to talk to your boy, Mr. Cuomo there, Aaron, to talk about it. And he goes, I don't know if this is politically expedient or not, but it's the right thing to do. Well, his big idea is to raise the firearm age, you know, the age that you can purchase legally firearms, to 21. Now, let's, let's set aside for a second the idea, as asinine as this is, let's just set aside for a moment the idea that 
I can enlist in the military right at the age of 18. And once I pass the initial physical demands and psychological demands, I'll be given a weapon at 18. I may serve a year or two. And for whatever reason, I'm out at the age of 20. I want to, I want to, I want to be able to purchase a firearm. I have been trained by the most elite fighting force in the history of human, the human species on how to handle a firearm. They gave me one when I was 18. I'm now out of that military. And you're telling me, Congressman Kinziger of Illinois, that I, I can't now go and per, to Bass Pro Shop when I am a highly trained elite killing machine. I, I, cannot, I cannot go and buy a firearm to protect my own home at age 20 after I'm out of the military. It's just an asinine notion, right? By any, let, let's set that aside, though. Do you know how many mass shooters are under 21? It's a low number. It, almost none of them are. Yeah, except the students, school shooters are, you know, the kids at the schools. But in fact, the two shooters, the one in Dayton and the one in El Paso, one of them was 21 and the other one 24. So he even says to Cuomo on television last night, he says, well, I'm, I'm not sure my proposal will end this. Congressman, it won't, it won't even put a dent in this. The vast majority of mass shooters are over the age of 21. How about that guy in Vegas? Weird, weird, wild stuff, right? Just, you know, up there in the most surveilled private strip of land on planet Earth. Just bringing in duffel bags of munitions to put together a, uh, a sniper pit in a hotel heavily surveillanced over the course of three days that nobody saw and nobody noticed when they cleaned his room. Yeah, did, did he strike you as under the age of 21 when you saw pictures of him? Because he struck me as the guy winning the shuffleboard tournament at the retirement home, okay? The, the majority of mass shooters are not 21. Um, so, again, uh, you know, ban weapons that are already banned. Enact policies and laws we already have. It's, I'm not saying there's no solutions. I mean, you shot down yesterday the red flag law thing from the president. I haven't shot it down. I'll take a look at what it looks like. I'll see what it looks like. You know? I mean, I mean I'm, not, I'm not optimistic. I, it's something I would support, but I'll at least take a look at it. I mean, I, it seems because to me, it seems disingenuous for me to, to go after our public officials for not acting on warnings about these known wolves and then when they want to institute a, warn, a, a further warning system to say, uh, no, that's a bad idea. Now, chances are, the odds are low that this could be constructed in a way that would not go after the law abiding in some way and diminish your freedom in some way. But I'll let him game plan it out. I'll see what he has to say. I won't shoot it down. I think that's smart theoretically. I just in, in terms of this particular reaction, we, we had a guy who was making rape and murder lists. And right. he was suspended. For, I There's mean, a story what? I just saw you tweet it right yeah. before we went on the air. His former girlfriend saying yeah. he used to tell me all the time about yeah. the voices like, and stuff in his head. I don't know. What more do we want? Yeah. Like, we, we were still, our hands were tied. Come on. I, uh, oh, reality always slams all of the theater. And I've got all the same theoretical what ifs. How do we game? 
and then reality punches them all in the face and we end up in the same place we are you can't live in this a sea where people are talking about transgenderism and in, in the same breath as they're talking about this uh, kind of stuff and have it not happen chaos will explode it will define the terms and you can tell too that the goal here is to disarm you uh, yeah I don't, I don't i don't i don't think the president is a strong second amendment supporter as a lifelong liberal New York City uh, socialite. He's not a strong anything. But I don't so think he's far. a strong yeah. anything either. I don't think he's out to disarm you. But I don't. I don't know that you know. I wouldn't count on him being in the bunker with you too when they come for your guns at the same time. All right. But the other. But the the stuff that's in Aaron's montage. They just wanted to disarm you. I mean, we had a mass shooting in at the Gilroy Garlic Festival out in California just a few days ago. Right. Where was that story? It's like that never even happened. You know why? Because if the motives, if, if, if the documented motives of the shooter do not fit the narrative, they're just not interested in this. That's why they're not interested in all the black-on-black crime in urban America. They're not interested in that. All they're, all they're interested in, this is a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week get-out-the-vote effort. All they're interested in is defeating you. On any level. That's it. It's happening That's in real time. Elizabeth Warren is flat out blaming Donald Trump for the shooting while the shooting that happened the same day is a guy who openly supported her. And she's getting I mean, away I, with that. I, I read on Twitter Oliver Darcy from CNN, who used to work here at The Blaze, I believe, years ago, um, said, well, the, that his network wasn't hypocritical in their coverage because, um, you know, the, the, we have a document. We, we know we know that that's the manifesto of the El Paso shooter. Well, we don't know that, actually. The feds still have not documented or, or confirmed that that is his manifesto. They have still not done that. They have told us that when he was arrested, he did repeat the themes in the manifesto. They did say that, but, but they, didn't, they haven't confirmed that manifesto. And as I pointed out to you yesterday, there is a, there is a segment of that manifesto that, unless you read the whole thing, is, is not being shared by most of these networks. All right? There's no question the guys has, has expressed hateful bigoted xenophobic notions that's not i'm not debating that but he also has some you know ramblings in there quoting the lorax and 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 talking about humans being a waste of resources and a drain on the environment you're not being fed a lot of that part we actually know those are the social media accounts of the of the of the guy in um in dayton and by the way guess whose network has now confirmed that they were Uh, mr darcy's he's still on there today just right before i went on the air attempting to act like these things are not the same. They're not credible. There's no point to watch, to read, monitor like the way you would monitor. Um, you're doing reconnaissance of an enemy government. But, but how many of you wake up in the morning and check out what's, what's trending at Al Jazeera? What's, what's on Russia today? None of you do. You, well, then why would you get up and care what's on MSNBC? I mean, Joe Scarborough, I was on the campaign that was the last remaining one that had a legit chance to beat Donald Trump. And I can just tell you, I was on, I was on that campaign and Joe Scarborough, few people in this country worked harder to get Donald Trump the presidency than Joe Scarborough did. He's just not a credible human being. He's an, he's the hackiest hack that ever hacked. All right. So that's not relevant to us. What is relevant to us is how the people that are supposed to be representing us respond to this. That's what's relevant to us. And, and when you score a, a largely unknown backbenching, formerly artist formerly known as a Tea Party congressman, and you score a national interview on CNN, which if it's on CNN, is it really national? 
I mean, take away America's airports. What is CNN's viewership? Because with their airports, their highest rated program is 21st in cable news. 21st. Okay. In fact, when Bill O'Reilly was on Fox News, and he had the number one show in cable news, his replay at 11 p.m. Eastern would, would score higher ratings than any program in CNN's primetime lineup. So this, this network was wrecked before Donald Trump ever showed up, okay? But let's, we'll go with it. It's a national interview. And how does he score a national interview? By proposing a policy in the aftermath of the last two shootings that would have not stopped either one of them. Either one of them. So you, we know we know our enemies aren't serious except about anything other than what they can do to call everybody who disagrees with them racist, homophobic, xenophobes. That's all they're serious about. That's all they care about. If Barack Obama had said the same thing about video games yesterday, would, you, would we have a clip of a skeptical Anderson Cooper? Hell to the no. Let's just be honest about that too. Okay? This is really simply for them about defeating you that's all it's about not about anything else the question is how serious are the people that we are electing to defend us against people like that if you're living in congressman kinzinger's district i wouldn't feel too safe today i'd be i'd be curious about that vote might as well just gone to a toilet taking out whatever greenbacks were sitting there in the dollar bill slot put them in after i dropped seven deuces put the money then in the toilet and flushed because that's what that vote was worth. And that's, that's true of voting Republican on a national level, pretty much across the board. You're just, you're going to get the exact same thing you're going to get from the left, just at a, a reduced rate of speed. So you're voting for them nationally on notions of self-defense. You're trying to slow down what's coming. But as I wrote in this book here, they're going to both get off at the same exit on the highway to hell folks. I mean, the, the Democrats see the next, they're both on the highway to hell. You know, the Democrats are in the left lane, pedal to the metal. They see next stop, ash heap to history, man, and they're punching it. They're, they're, they're putting in the nitro fuel. They're going fast and furious to get there. Republicans see it. You know, they're kind of driving Miss Daisy. They got 10 and 2 on the wheel, checking their speeds, right? They're in the right-hand lane, you know, making sure all street signs are observed, you know? I mean, maybe even make sure you don't smoke in the car if your name's Mitch McConnell, because that would be bad. I mean, you want to arrive at the ash heap to history, obviously, with a high blood oxygen level. Uh, and But make no mistake, they see it there and realize that's, we're just going to get there making sure that we get there as safe and sound as we possibly can. That's all you're voting for on a national level. And men like Congressman Kinziger proved that to you. One quick note th thing here on the, the, the trade war with China. I still believe that unless the economy tanks, he's going to get reelected next year, no matter who they nominate. And I also believe if the economy tanks, he is going to lose next year, no matter who they nominate. I still believe that. I am fascinated to see how this is going to work out. Because... He is attempting, with, the, with, with, with an economy booming under his watch, he is attempting to enact serious changes in our geopolitical positioning economically, particularly where it comes to, to commerce and trade. 
And he is attempting to do this with methodologies that conservative orthodoxy, and I, when I say conservative orthodoxy, I don't mean Republicans in Congress. I mean like people whose opinions we've cared about, okay? The, the, you know, the, the people who brought you the Reagan presidency. That's what I mean, okay? Conservative orthodoxy says, this is disastrous. This is, her, th these are the things Herbert Hoover tried in, in the 20s that gave birth to a Great Depression. Now, he's going to try to do these things. Now, we've never played this out in the current political climate in the 21st century. Again, I am not optimistic, but I don't see a point in arguing about things that haven't occurred yet. You know, it's, it's like sitting here on, on August 6th and arguing with Aaron about whether his Chiefs will make the Super Bowl or not, or whether or not I am right, that the Madden curse will rear its ugly head once more. You know why we don't need to argue about that? Because they're going to play games here soon, and we're going to find out. Right? There's no point in arguing about things we don't know yet that we're going to know for certain. Okay? You argue about them after they occur, okay? About why they occurred. You don't argue about stuff that we know is going to happen. We're going to find out in real time how this is going to turn out. Because, because this, this stuff has the, president, the, 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 the possibilities of, of tanking his presidency. If the conservative orthodoxy that we were taught in the 70s and 80s that gave birth to the Reagan era, if that stuff is true, when, when you watch Elizabeth Warren, Joe Biden, Kamala Harris, when you, when you see them, their names called on election night, 450 some odd days from now, as, as the next president of the United States, you'll be able to look back to this time period in, in August and say that's what did it. Or he's going to prove that a lot of the conservative orthodoxy that we were taught in the 70s and 80s was bunk. We're about to find out because this is a high-risk game of poker he's playing right now, particularly for a state like mine in Iowa. More in a moment. You know, a low credit score can keep you, deny you from getting the things you're working the hardest for right now in life, like a new credit card, a car, a new home, maybe even that new job you want. More and more employers are doing credit rating scans to screen candidates uh, these days as well. And that's not all. Even if you do get approved, if your score is too low, you'll get stuck with punitive interest rates compared to somebody whose score is better. You don't have to keep uh, getting denied like this. Creditrepair.com can help. Uh, they can help you work to repair your credit and improve your score by removing inaccurate negative items like late payments, charge-offs, even collections and bankruptcies. Here's the number for your free credit evaluation, 800-501-3199. That's 1-800-501-3199. When you call, you'll get a free credit report and score, and you'll find out what creditrepair.com can do to help improve it. All right, this is available for everybody except those in Georgia, Mississippi, Ohio, and South Carolina. The evaluation, credit report, and score are free. And then you decide if you want to sign up for the service to help to improve your score from there. 501-3199. That's the number. 800-501-3199. Or visit the website at creditrepair.com. That's creditrepair.com. So Todd, you, we, our, our guest here today is somebody you decided to book after reading what they had written. Tell our audience about that. Well, and as I said yesterday, this is I booked him before the events uh, of the 
the weekend, the shootings. Um, but uh, he writes uh, for uh, public uh, discourse where uh, uh, Ryan Anderson uh, obviously does a lot of work and we're fans of his. Uh, from the Heritage Foundation. From, yeah. So, and uh, it, it's it seems like it's it's common sense, but it's uh, social science is, is not going to be enough. And this is a man who works in the ca- academy uh, at Boise State. And we all believe that here. But you know, it, it, it seems to me that men in his position are, are and, and we're stuck here in this conversation about guns, you know, screaming uh, into the wilderness. Is there any ret- is there any potential for return on investment? Because if he thinks there is based on the colleagues he's surrounding about Steve and I are talking about being former journalists at the Des Moines Register. And you can you, you, you're just speaking in tongues to these people. They don't hear you. Social science is is their religion. And he and, and we're talking about regarding these shootings. Faith. We need that on some level. And I, th- I thought the way he was going to convey that before these shootings happens would be profound. Is there, are there still ears to hear the in the academy? If he, if he has an answer to say yes now after what's happened, uh, the man may, in fact, be a prophet. Sky Yenner is a professor at Boise State University. He's the one that wrote this piece for the public discourse. Social science is not enough. He's our guest today here on Blaze TV radio and podcast. Scott, how are you? I'm well. Thank you for having me on. So before we start getting into practical applications of what you wrote here, what's been the reaction in your academic circles to the fact you wrote it at all? Oh, uh, there hasn't been a ton of reaction. I probably have gotten about a dozen emails from uh, friends who read public discourse and, uh, and you know, uh, encouraging me to keep on the same lines of inquiry. But um, generally, I would say that what happens on the Academy is critics of the Academy are not so much lampooned or um, or gone after with any kind of academic um, trials or such, but but rather they're ignored, and uh, and that is you know it's disappointing, but it means that your arguments don't get addressed over much because uh, because they can be ignored, given the uh, overwhelming uh, you know presence of the other side. I mean, the reason the reason they would ignore you is because it's the same reason political correctness was created, right? You, you don't want to risk losing a debate, and the best way you 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 don't risk losing a debate is you either dehumanize those who might have alternative viewpoints. They couldn't have them for any other reason other than racism, homophobia, xenophobia, and patriarchal uh, heteronormative uh, you know indoctrinations, or you just act like they don't exist altogether. Because if no debate takes place, Scott, you're not going to lose that debate, right? I think that that's a very fair thing. I mean, you can you can kind of take the academy at 20-year intervals and think of it like this. When I was getting ready to complete undergraduate, Alan Bloom wrote The Closing of the American Mind in the late 1980s. And it was a book that could not be ignored. Uh, it was a powerful argument against trends in higher education. Um, his opponents wrote against it. And his supporters wrote for it, and it created a real vigorous debate. Uh, if you look at it, maybe I guess it's 30 years hence, um, a book like that, and many of them are being written, can be ignored uh, simply because um, there's a more a hegemonic uh, victory for the people against whom uh, Bloom was arguing. And I think that's just the reality of the modern academy now. What prompted you to write this piece for the public discourse? What what were you watching, seeing it take place culturally in an academia that made you say, hey, this needs to be said? Well, I think, 
you know, one, one of my uh, motivations for doing it is that I think both liberals and conservatives overestimate the power of data and sound science um, to shape public discourse. And uh, I think data helps, but it doesn't, off, it doesn't really move the needle. And I would say if I backed up, if you look at the last, once again, 40 years or so, there's been great evidence that children are better off being raised in two-parent families where their biological mothers and fathers are married. And it's a very sound scientific conclusion that's cross-cultural, transnational, and, and true over time. But nevertheless, it is not something that is like convinced public policymakers or even normal people to change the way they live. The trends have all gone in the, in the, the bad direction. Um, so even among conservatives, we put too much faith in science and have to recognize that there's something above science, uh, an, a genuine argument over values and ethics that must be uh, conducted if there's going to be a sound family policy in the United States. What I hear you, what I hear you saying, Scott, is is human beings are human beings, not constructs. Meaning, you know, I, I use data a lot in this job. I use it to, in other uh, aspects of my job when I've done political consulting and things of that nature professionally in the past. Um, I can't go in and, con and try to convince a senator or a presidential candidate or a governor to do something based off of my anecdotal hunches. I better have some data that affirms that, right? But one of the things, that, and you know, the arena I learned in, in the last few years is applying what I do with data politically in, 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 for, in my spare time for fun in the arena of sports handicapping. And, and th those trends are great. When you look at, you know, what this team is compared to on, on the road, compared to at home or in this particular rivalry game or coming off of playing on a Monday night at home and then they go on the road. But here's what I learned. I learned that those trends are, are, the, are your friend until they run into human nature, that human nature trumps trends. That it really didn't matter what Alabama's offensive output was in the early years of Nick Saban because they didn't have a quarterback like Tua Tagovailoa. So looking at the way Alabama played offense in 2012 is irrelevant compared to the way they're playing it right now, right? So this is what I kind of hear you saying is, is that we need, we need data, but data doesn't change human nature. At best, it reveals what human nature is actually manifesting at the moment. Your thoughts? Yeah, um, I want to. I mean, I'm a very big sports fan myself, and um, uh, but I'm going to use a different example uh, to, to illustrate what I'm talking about. Uh, I think Friday there was an article in the Journal of the American Medical Association that said that uh, you know about three quarters of female physicians are interested in working part time, where only about twenty percent of male physicians are interested in working part time. And now, is this a good thing or a bad thing? Uh, how to interpret these data. Well, the authors of the study said that, that the preference of female physicians for part-time work will hinder their ability to advance in their careers, they'll make less money. Uh, in other words, it compromises female empowerment. I would look at the data and say something kind of different. I would look at the same data and say, we have maximized the ability of many women to balance career and family both things of which are important, and, uh, and this is a real accomplishment. It's something to celebrate. Are these data something to bemoan? They are from the perspective of female empowerment. 
Or are they something to celebrate, which they could be from the perspective of female choice? And the data, social science is not enough to answer this question. Um, you have to bring in questions of ethics and, uh, as you say, human nature mm -hmm. uh, in order to really understand and even, uh, you know, to, to get to the heart of what this uh, what this study shows. And it, it does it, it does depend on the premise that you're looking at this data with. Right. Because on one hand, if I go into this, if I look at that, at, 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 at those numbers and I start from the premise of. um. Anything a woman does outside of a professional environment instantly diminishes her credibility and value as a woman. While at the same time, of course, I'm arguing in other departments at that same university uh, or other places at that same network that men can become women. That I can just take some hormone treatments and I can become a chick. Okay, because I declared it. And if you, if you don't believe that, then you're a bigot. So at, on one hand, I'm, I'm even saying there's nothing great about femininity. Anybody can be a woman if they want to. And then on the other hand, I'm simultaneously arguing that while femininity doesn't matter and is irrelevant, that anything you do other than one particular manifestation of behavior diminishes your femininity in my eyes, as opposed to letting the, the data show us how women view the actual women uh, who actually possess the femininity, how they view it. And that ultimately, yeah, they like to have a professional career by and large, but not at the expense of the things that they value in that femininity alongside alongside their own personal worth. But that is the worth that they have in serving others as a wife, as a as a as a mother, things of that nature. That's again the difference between uh, the data tells me, I, I let the data decide what a human being is, as opposed to the data tells me what actually it says. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, and I write about this in the public discourse piece, there is uh, a real movement often to, uh, to explain away data. Um, so uh, there was a book written in the early 1970s called The Future of Marriage. And in it, Jesse Bernard, the author, uh, shows, tr tries to argue that married women die younger, have health problems, are miserable human beings. But the surveys show that married women are actually much happier than single women, just as married men are happier than single men. So what does she do with this data? What does she do? She says that the women are kind of brainwashed into thinking that they're happy when they're really miserable. And so it's a, it's a tendency. It's something that happens sometimes on the right, but it's a tendency uh, from what I have noticed in, uh, in studying feminism in the family that happens much more on uh, on that side to explain away the data and ignore, I would say, what people see with their eyes and what common sense um, and history show us uh, is more likely to be true. You just described magical thinking that the world is must be the way I view it to be and anything else is wrong. And any facts that get in the way, science can be denied. Um, that 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 it, I, if it doesn't line up with my projections, it's just simply not true. And and you're right that for decades this has been the natural habitat of the American left, and we are seeing it now more and more on the right. I mean, I, I pointed out before you came on in in response to what occurred over the weekend in El Paso and in Dayton, Ohio, we had a Republican congressman go on CNN 
and and argue as a strong Second Amendment advocate, argued for raising the the minimum age to purchase firearms at 21. Now, we can debate the merits of that policy on its face. We could also point things out that imagine you went into the military at 18. And once you passed all the psychological and physical uh, testing, you were given a firearm and trained by the greatest fighting force in the history of the Homo sapien species to use it. Then you get out at 19 or 20. And you suddenly cannot go to Bass Pro Shop and buy a firearm to defend your own home. I, it, we can we can we can point out you know fallacies in his argument, but here's the greatest fallacy in his argument: is that um, the, the the he's doing this in reaction to these last two shootings. Both of those shooters were 21 and older. The vast majority of mass shooters are 21 and over. And so this is another, this is kind of another, re, 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 reactionaryism is kind of now becoming comprehensive in our culture, isn't it, Scott? Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm not a great knower of the uh, studies on guns, so I'm not going to be able to weigh in as much as you probably know about it. Um, but, um, you know, oh. Do we lose Scott's connection? It uh, looks like maybe on his end. I don't okay. think we ever lost him on ours, though. All right. So I don't think you have to know anything about guns to point out that. Well, it's uh, along the lines of, of the magical thinking. that. You yeah, it's magical about. thinking. Yeah. I'm doing something. I'm reacting to this. Um, except what you're, what, what you're doing in reaction to this isn't. It isn't. It isn't true. It's. 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 It's not true. It's. It's. You're. You're proposing an irrelevant mechanism. To the solution. So what that tells us is you haven't really thought through. The actual problem. What you did is you just you you you, you emoted. Therefore I am. And we're seeing this more and more. On, on the so-called right these days. It's, it's becoming more and more secularized, more and more about um, let's go find mascots for aberrant behavior or mental illness and, and slap a MAGA hat on them uh, or uh, you know, give them a CPAC speaking slot and give them a Team GOP talking point and put them on Fox and it's great, okay? And... Th- all that's going, magical thinking times magical thinking equals truth, right? Is that how it works? Magical mm. thinking times magical thinking Never. equals truth? No. It's magical thinking times magical thinking. What do you think that equals, Aaron? Um, human nature and more of it. Yeah, we're going to get more magical thinking. That's what you get. By the way, which, which side is perfectly fine with magical thinking, regardless of wherever it leads? Which side is, is proposing... Do you want that the we, real answer to that question? That, that we are, who, which side is proposing that we are to be governed and has been our entire lives by magical thinking, by the reality that we prefer? Uh, the people we're supposed to be trying to defeat around here. So if we start emulating their processes and tactics, who wins? No matter who wins. They win. This is their process. This is their tactics. I, I, I know we keep looking for every other way out of this. But, you know, in between beating me, Dave Day's taught me some valuable life lessons. I've shared one of them with you in the past. It's been a while. Let me share this one with you once more. He once pointed out to me, Steve, do you know why there was 
so much bravery at the Alamo. And I said, why, Dad? And he said, because there was no back door. If there had been a back door, think they would have just sat there and died? No. They'd have regrouped. <laughs> They'd have Dunkirked their way out of there right quick and regrouped and thought, let's wait until the odds are better before we take on Santa Ana. I think we're, we're at the point now, we're up against the, uh, the, the, the proverbial uh, uh, last straw here. We're even debating what is a straw nowadays, by the way. <laughs> the only way out of this is the truth. That's the only way out. We keep trying on our side to come up with every other slick, clever process to push back against this. Other than the only one that will work. And that is the truth. Here, but see, here, here's the dirty little secret. You have no BS? Always. See, here, here's why we don't go there. I, I don't think a lot of people on our side are ignorant of this. The problem is, the truth is a double-edged sword. It, is, it, it cannot be used as a partisan, tribalistic weapon. It, it will reflect back on you at the exact same time. And so if you start wielding truth as a weapon then it, it demands that you be as equally accountable to it as those you are calling to account. That is why we are uncomfortable with wielding truth here on the right. That's why, right there. Hour two is next. Hey, we're back with hour number two, live and on demand on The Blaze. I'm Steve Dace. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. Steve at stevedace.com is how you can email us, like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. We've got fake news or not coming your way uh, in just a few minutes, as well as Pop Culture Tuesday at the bottom of the hour. But first, if, if you had a stoplight at your kitchen table that told you when you were full and to stop eating, that would be really, I mean, really effective probably, but also very creepy and weird. The good thing is nature knows, which is why your creator put one in your body. It's a signal with a big fancy name. Its abbreviation is OEA. And all it does is from the brain, tell the gut, hey, we're full, stop eating. This is how you're supposed to be able to control your portion sizes, your craving control, things of that nature. For various reasons, we don't have time in this read though, for too many of us, that signal just isn't doing what it's supposed to do. That's where Riduzone comes in. Think of it as that stoplight. All right, and, and it's not loaded with stimulants or chemicals or caffeine. It's just that OEA. That's all it does, puts the OEA back in your body to help you know when to say when. And if you have been fighting the battle against your bulge, but you're losing it, willpower only goes so far. After a while, if you don't see the results you want, take it from me. I've been there, okay? After a while, if you don't see the results you want, you go back to what you were doing before, all right? So before you do that, Give Riduzone a shot. Use my name, Steve, as a promo code. They'll give you a special offer when you go to Riduzone.com. That's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, Riduzone.com. Aaron, I want to go to you before we go to fake news or not. The the conversation we were just having with Scott Yenner, the uh, professor of uh, political science at Boise State University, and the, the piece that uh, that Todd flagged for us that he wrote for Public Discourse, social sciences sure. aren't enough. People aren't constructs, for example, Okay. 
in your generation, because we see the we see the stereotypes on Twitter or on Facebook or in cable news media or campus reform videos for that matter. How in fact, let me set up this question with an example. Several years ago, when you would have been in high school, that's how long ago this was. Mm-hmm. All right. I was invited by a Christian teacher to go speak at one of the largest high school, public high schools in Iowa. And like the day before I was, I had said yes to this six months in advance. The day before he calls me or sends me an email, I can't remember what it was. and said, hey, I got to let you know, I've got one rule here. All right, you cannot openly evangelize the students or I'm getting fired. So I had a decision to make. Should I dump out on them at that point? You know, because you know how much I love being told up front what I can't say, right? Um, you know, and then I prayed over. I thought, no, I'm still going to go do this. because I think there might be another way of doing this that, that in a way might be even more potent than a direct evangelistic appeal to just see how much they have considered that uh, the truth is not a relational experience. And so the day I went to speak to this assembly at this high school packed house, and it was one of those days in the middle of March, you know, in a place like Iowa where you're tired of winter, but it isn't quite spring yet. And stuff is melting and it's nasty outside and all the snow is brown and everything else, you know, and, right. and you're waiting for spring break. And so I, I use that in my talk and I ask these students, how many of you looking at the way that it is outside and spring break is next week, how many of you wish it was 75 degrees and sunny right now? And except for the kids who are too cool for school, everybody's hands went up. And I looked at those kids and I said, it doesn't matter what you think. The weather was here before you got here and it will be here long after you're gone. And you can wear muscle shirts and you can wear tank tops to school today. The weather is still going to treat you like it would if it it is still going to be 30 degrees, breezy, nasty outside, and you'll get sick. So you can acknowledge that there is truth out there larger than you that pre-exists you, predates you, and it ain't changing for you. Or you can suffer the consequences for that. That was the tenor of my talk. And he called me back a week later and said, you wouldn't believe the conversations that have gone on here in these hallways. So many of these kids, not even their own parents have told them. Just the basic notion that truth to them is not a personal experience. A lot of the kids that were in that classroom back in 05, 06 would be about your age now, right? Or pretty close. Sure, yeah. Yeah. So how prevalent is this notion in your generation? Is the realization actually? That I have to submit to the truth, not that it submits to me. How prevalent is that notion? Yes. Oh, I, I would say, I would say, um, probably not as much as the stereotype in a lot of the older generations' minds. Um, or the, the way you phrase that is is um, I'm trying to think through it. It is um, uh, less prevalent than the stereotype would have you think. But more prevalent than what you would like it to be, whether that's uh, outright assent to I uh, I identify as a boy now when I'm actually a girl, or vice versa, or whether it's just practicing. Um, I think I don't know about you guys, but I see a lot of this, and I've dealt it with myself. Just financial irresponsibility. That's another form of magical thinking as well, uh, of magical economic thinking as well. I see that. Um, now it's, again, it's a little bit harder to get good paying jobs, but even then the stuff that we spend our money on quite a bit seems to be trivial, at least 
from what I see looking out. There are always exceptions to the rules. But I think whether in practice or well, whether in word or deed, I think it's a lot more prevalent than than um, what we would what we would like it to be, though not as prevalent as what the stereotype would have you believe. So you're outnumbered. It's systemic, but it's not holistic. Is that what I hear you saying? Yeah, systemic Systemic means it's still... It's the default setting. Default setting. It's not yeah. the omnipresent yeah. setting. Interesting. The, the problem we had in our generation, Todd, was the notion that we could turn that on and off situationally. The idea that, um, well, in this particular situation, I don't have to submit to that truth because it's not convenient for me to do so. While simultaneously acknowledging that there is irrefutable universal truth out there that must be submitted to, right? Yeah. And, and all his generation then done, has done is taken the baton from us and then just gone yeah. all yeah. the way to the truth is just whatever I want it to be, whenever I want it to be at all times. Yeah. And I'll make that personal to me. I mean, I'm, I'm more personally to blame for that than you are. I mean, I'm a cradle Catholic, cradle Christian. There, there, as I've said before, there's not a time in my life where I would have publicly in words disavowed the lord that i'm not a christian mm-hmm. but th- there are any number of ways where it was just absolutely immaterial to my existence and that's what you're describing and that that's why we are now living in a post-christian culture mm-hmm. when the roots that were planted for uh at the founding of our country were as deep a planting of christian culture as there ever was because it was founded on the creed other times it was founded it was often founded through uh blood and warfare here it was a conscious decision and yet we forfeited nonetheless and it was because i i need to own that i have feet of clay and that's what steve's talking about earlier on how our reticence to apply the standard it's judge not well, lest you be judged. Careful there now. That one's a doozy. So that's what you were talking about. Yes. And I know that's how I was uh, in my life. And it, sometimes it was conscious. O- oftentimes it was more, it was just this, it was the water I swam in, man. Because, I, I mean, I, I grew up in Madison. I went to the University of Wisconsin. Just, you know, you, you just, you're lazy. Win in Rome, do as the yeah, Romans. Yeah. And, and you prove the proverb, bad company corrupts good character. Correct. And you prove it to be true, yes. right? Well, that, that's a good reason why we are doing fake news or not differently in 2019. We, we are, we're, just, we're just done fact-checking known liars. I mean, if, if we were to continue to do fake news or not with, with the majority of, of what's called mainstream or left American media, we'd have to point out the rare times when they're actually doing their jobs, right? So we'd have to do it inverse. I mean, there's no point in fact-checking known liars, um, we're more interested in what about the people and platforms that are supposed to be talking to those of us in the what's left of America? Are they are they on the up and up? You guys ready to go? Yes. All right. You're going to give your thumbs up and or thumbs down to the following five clips this week, beginning with this one from Congressman, former Congressman Trey Gowdy. The right to life is the most fundamental, basic, primary right that we have. It is the right from which all other rights emanate. Um, It doesn't matter if you have a right to a lawyer if you're dead. It doesn't matter if you have the right to free speech if you're dead. It doesn't matter if you have the right to keep and bear arms if you're dead. So on a personal level, I'm willing to subrogate any of my other rights to avoid another Sandy Hook, uh, another Pulse nightclub, 
another day like we had yesterday. Fake news or not? What do you think, Todd? I think that's mostly fake news. Uh, it's And for those wondering what he's saying there when he uses the word subrogate, that's a fancy attorney term for. He is willing to sacrifice every value that he has for the, for, the, for the prime value he has, which is the right to life. But is he properly applying it there? But right, that's not... If these are rights as we believe them, it's by definition, they are things that cannot be taken away because they are given to you by God. And therefore, uh, subrogation is basically a, a form of a devaluing not only yourself, but hum, hum, the gift of humanity uh, in general. It's redefining uh, yourself. So you're not even doing the math right. And furthermore, these are just, uh, this, this is rhetoric that sounds pretty at the moment. Yep. And just doesn't go anywhere, which pretty much describes not only the gun problem, but almost every single problem we have and, and endlessly butcher in our political dialogue. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I think I know where you stand on this one after all of that. But I just want to make sure I get I, 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 we, just to clarify, you, you think Trey Gowdy is fake news there? Yeah. OK, I just wanted to I was pretty sure that's what you meant by all of that. But I, just, I wanted to clarify, Aaron, your verdict. It's fake news. It's a very progressive view of rights. Uh, and I, I mean, p- capital P progressive view of, of rights by Trey Gowdy there. What he's actually communicating is that these rights can be given or taken away by government because I because that's that's basically what he's saying. It's like I'll give my rights away to the government if the government um, figures out a way to stop there. That's that's progressivism. And Todd is right on the money where he says that sounds flowery and that sounds good right now, but uh, when you actually analyze it, step back and analyze it a little bit more, uh, no, no, that doesn't sound good. Does that remind you of any any progressive talking point whatsoever? Other than all of them. Other than all of them. Yeah. There was a poll put out. On Twitter by, I think, a conservative of note. I just don't remember who it is. I'm not trying to avoid it. But it basically said, would you give up your Second Amendment rights if it ended abortion? That's just a terrible, terrible question. Right, because what is the, why, why, what is the point of the Second Amendment? What, what, what right is the Second Amendment really attempting to protect? What, what right is it really, ultimately, ultimately? It's life. Yeah, it's really trying to protect the right to life. That's really what it's ultimately trying to protect. All right, so number one, that his, it's a canard. What he's arguing is a canard. All right, it's a fallacy. It, 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 the, the right to keep and bear arms is ultimately there in order for you to have a, manif- a manifest way to defend your own right to life. The God-given right of self-defense, number one. All right, so that's a fallacy, what he's arguing. The second thing he says there, though, I'm willing to subrogate my rights. You know, when Aaron says that's right out of the progressive talking points, let me, let me illustrate for you just how right Aaron is. I'm willing to pay more in taxes so that we can, so we can do more for blank. Well, then write a check, Mr. Buffett. No one's stopping you. So, Mr. Gowdy, if you're willing to subrogate your rights, disarm. You know, take all your guns and sell them, you know. Okay, thank you. Is anybody stopping Mr. Gowdy from, if, if that's how Mr. Gowdy views his right to keep and bear arms, that it's not for the manifest protection of his own right to life, but it's to collect guns or be a sportsman. That's really what it's there for. Well, if that's how he trivializes his own 
uh, Second Amendment freedoms. Is anybody stopping him from ceasing uh, to use them? Nope. Nope. Similarly, you know, all these billionaires who are willing to pay more in taxes. One of the greatest lines I've ever heard a politician say, Mike Huckabee pointed out once when he was governor of Arkansas, that they started putting a form on the state income tax return where you could voluntarily pay more money to the state. If you thought you weren't being taxed enough, if you're one of those lefties, you're not being taxed enough, pay more voluntarily. And he said, all the years he was governor of Arkansas, you know how many people voluntarily paid more? You can guess. It's a really low number, like the lowest. <laughs> Nobody did. All right, so Mr. Gowdy, if that's how you view your Second Amendment freedoms as not an extension of your right to life, but an extension of something else, so, I mean, if you want to subrogate your right to life for the right to life, that makes no sense to me. But, okay, I, you know, I, I believe in a limited autonomy of the American individual. You're not ultimately autonomous because you're not God. But I, be, I believe in limited autonomy of the individual made in the image of God. Give up all your firearms then. Okay, cool. I mean, I'm similar to Mr. Buffett, write a bigger check, right? Mm-hmm. Anybody stopping him from doing either one of those things? Nope. No. So where do you think, though, that you get to tell me what I pay? And where do you think you get to tell me that I need to subrogate my right to life so that you can, uh, you know, get another booking on Fox News? He's not even coming on and trying to tell. He's just coming on the show to talk. Yep. I mean, that's really. Yeah. To sound like I care. To yeah. emote. There's nothing right. there. Yeah. Next thing you know, a Republican congressman's going to propose we raise the, the firearms age to 21. <laughs> when, yeah. most, when most mass shooters are 21 and older, including the last two we just had. I mean, that'd be nuts if that happened, right? I'm pretty skeptical of the Republican yeah. Party. I don't think that's ever going to happen. Yeah, yet. I think that. Even by my cynical standards, I don't think we'd get that. That um... Next clip. It's the inherent worth and dignity of every human life. That's what we have to do. Third, we must reform our mental health laws to better identify mentally disturbed individuals who may commit acts of violence and make sure those people not only get treatment, but when necessary, involuntary confinement. Mental illness and hatred pulls the trigger, not the gun. Fourth, we must make... What do you think? That's uh, Trump's uh, attempt in his speech yesterday to talk about responsibility and what or who is responsible for the fact we've had 12 of the worst mass shootings in American history just since 2007. Aaron, fake news or not? I, I want to say he's on the right track, but it's, uh, it's, still, I, it's still fake news. It, it, we're, trying, we're trying to assign blame to inanimate terms. It's the gun's fault. It's mental illness fault. It's the human condition's fault, guys. Until we start diagnosing that, until that's the diagnosis, until that's the the problem that we start treating and start preaching about, then we're still going where he's going to do another press conference like this at some point in the future. We know it. And so he's I I think I want to say that he's on the right track. But ultimately, ultimately, it is fake news. Todd. Yeah, fake news along the lines of what I said right at the end about God. He's just he's he's the president. I got to go on and talk after this. I'm going to say some things and uh then we're going to move on and thank goodness this crazy news cycle allows you to move on from just about any heinous act because there's another heinous act right down the road so we're going to go there just talking yikes next clip act and let's condemn it for what it is evil evil and and i 
And I say, how long are we going to let, for example, and, and ignore at the federal level particularly, where they can do something about the video game industry? You know, in this manifesto that we believe is from the shooter, this manifesto, he talks about living out his super soldier fantasy on Call of Duty. We know that uh, the video game industry is bigger than the movie industry and the music industry combined. And there have been studies that say it impacts people and studies that says it does not. But I look at the common denominators as a 60-some-year-old as father and grandfather myself. What's changed in this country? We've always had guns. We've always had evil. But what's changed where we see this rash of shooting? And I, and I see a, a video game industry that, that teaches young people to kill you know, in his manifesto, he said he, this is not a Republican or Democrat thing because he was concerned about robots and environment and, and immigrants. Obviously a hate crime, I think, in, in my view, against immigrants from this young man. Just my view. We haven't had an official report on that. And I don't mean to talk on, but I've just, mm-hmm. my heart is so heavy yeah. this morning because I think, where are we as a country? Yeah. Um, I look at social media. The, the violence of just bullying people on social media every day and we turn our head and we, and we allow it. Um, I look at on a Sunday morning when most of your viewers right now, half of the country are getting ready to go to church. And, and yet tomorrow we won't let our kids even pray in our schools. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we have to look at ourselves as a nation. It's many factors that go into these shooting, many factors. And it's not a time to politicize, it's a time to look deep inside of who we are as a country. Lieutenant Governor from Texas, Dan Patrick, talking about what uh, happened in his home state uh, in El Paso over the weekend, one of the mass shootings we had. Fake news or not, Todd, what do you think? I don't know the man at all, um, but just in terms of that snippet there, that's that's mostly true news because it doesn't give you any fake bill of goods on any one thing. You get no sense that, that there's a magic uh, bullet. I was a little worried that there was going to be at the beginning on... Uh, video games not because uh, i don't I, the, the research is conclusive that vi- playing the certain types of video games have an addictive quality uh, akin to drugs and affect a, a certain uh, uh kind of male who gets in, involved inside these chat rooms it's it, now does that turn them all into killers clearly no so he stopped there and then he went on and as we did yesterday the number of factors and he ended where he should in terms of uh the absence of he talks about schools, but by the absence of prayer, you have an absence of of God. So, and, and he feels he lets it. I feel helpless. I, I feel lost. There's so many factors. I'm overwhelmed by it all. Uh, that's more honest, uh, even if it doesn't take you to a warm and fuzzy place of where we can start to go from here. It's more honest than most of what you're going to hear. Would have been better if he had volunteered to segregate uh uh his own freedoms do you think that might have made what he what he was trying to share it would have gotten from his heart more effectively faster probably okay aaron fake news or not uh sorry to be the turd in the punch bowl uh at least to some degree i don't know what time of the morning this aired on sunday morning but when i thought you know we're going to be going to we're 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 at church this why aren't you guys at church i had the same thought on sunday i did i'm not watching this but on, um, I mean the 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 level of back and forth, and I just checked in. <laughs> Are you saying? Can you imagine the average Fox News viewer is sixty eight years old? Okay, the boomer. Yeah, I'm so, sorry, so, I'm sorry. So the, the boomer sitting at home, uh, sitting at home on the Palm Mall. Damn video games. Yep. These kids need to go to Not church. Not their head. Yeah, the kids at need to go to church. 10 a.m. on a Sunday morning. Yeah, well, you're drowning. You're dunking uh, lung darts. You know, over your fourteenth cup of coffee there at the retirement home. Is that what I hear you saying? 
Yeah. Yeah. Again, I don't know what time that aired on Sunday morning. Now, the part about video games. That, this is this, we, have, we, have a, we have a millennial here who is tired of being lectured to. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's a reoccurring but, theme. Go ahead. Um, yes. The part about the video games, I don't think there's any question that I, I don't think I don't think it makes a difference whether it was 100 years ago or today. The type of media you consume, and this is what Matt Walsh's point was from the Daily Wider, his his right. kind of thing this morning. I, I don't think there's any question that the type of um, that, that that the type of media you consume affects you, and you can point to you know there's thousands of studies that have been done claiming or to some degree linking video game violent video games to mass what's the difference between violent video games or the 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 shooter who was in some sort of uh porno grinder band or something like that. I didn't even know what that was until I've read about him. I had never heard of that before or he's a big fan of this this other band uh, called the Acacia Strain. Like what's the difference between violent video games and some of that music uh, as well and what it can do to a mind that's already um, at at the very least, you know, um, compromised. So I I don't think the part about uh, video games that some of Joe Biden and Donald Trump and now Dan Patrick have brought up. I don't think that's completely fake news. I, I really don't. I just because I think that can happen with any media whatsoever. Let's talk about Obamacare in this next clip. I thought you liked me. I thought I was I was the popular guy for a minute. And, and, and at one point, he was the fan of so many progressives around the country. It looks like not right. well, so much anymore. Yeah. That's a good point. In fact, there was an earlier uh, uh, Biden uh, fundraiser email that I got saying, uh, get your sticker. Obamacare was a BFD. Right Remember, Funny. he delivered health care uh, in a remarkable fashion. But now what the left, what Warren and Sanders are saying is we're going to take away your private insurance. We're going to decriminalize the border in Barack Obama. Obama wasn't that great of a guy after all. Forgive us. I am deathly allergic to bees. And there is a wasp flying around in here. And Aaron is attempting to be my knight in shining armor. Um, there it is. Right there by the light. You see it, Aaron? You are looking live. Yes. We may, even, we may even have Fred to play. Musburger. We may even have to play this clip again. I, we were all transfixed by trying to save the host's life from uh, this killer wasp. Do you even remember what they were saying in the clip? Were you even watching? No, it's it? watching Aaron it's behind to- you, Aaron, on the green screen on the edge. This is excellent. No, other over right there. I'm glad this is out in the open now. I mean, my wife brought uh, the EpiPen down here. Yes. Okay. This- Did you get it? No. Oh yes. You did. Man. Yes. Hunter wins. I think the nest is, I think it's in the ceiling. My hero. Yes. My hero, Aaron. Saved my life. You know, we're going to re-rack this after I do a live read here. Fake news or not, that was terror in Steve's eyes right there. Yeah, it was. Uh, Speaking of terror, uh, the Amazon Capital One data breach just hit. 160 million of us just had our names, home addresses, and banking information exposed. Forget credit card theft. Your far greater risk is now home title fraud. Uh, The title fraud is rampant because identity thieves figured out that title and mortgages to our homes are kept online. Their big payday comes by forging your name off your home's title so it appears they own your home. Then they borrow uh, all your equity until it's gone. 
uh, sticking you with the late payments. And your identity theft protection, your bank, your mortgage lender cannot protect you. But for pennies a day, Home Title Lock will. In fact, right now, uh, they're offering um, a 60-day risk-free of Home Title Lock protection. 60 days risk-free to protect your most valuable asset, your own home. Claim your 60-day risk-free days of protection at HomeTitleLock.com. Enter your home address and find out maybe you've already been a victim. That's HomeTitleLock.com. All right, should we replay that clip again? Yep, one second. All right, let's play it again. Progressives, I thought you liked me. I thought I was I was the popular guy for a minute. And, and, and at one point, he was the fan of so many progressives around the country. It looks like not right. well, so much anymore. Yeah. That's a good point. In fact, there was an earlier uh, uh, Biden uh, fundraiser email that I got saying, uh, get your sticker. Obamacare was a BFD. Remember, he delivered health care right. uh, in a remarkable fashion. But now what the left, what Warren and Sanders are saying is we're going to take away your private insurance. We're going to decriminalize the border. Mm-hmm. And Barack Obama wasn't that great of a guy after all. Delivered healthcare in a remarkable way. Fake news or not there, Aaron, what do you think? Um, uh, that's not fake news. It was pretty remarkable. Maybe probably not the way that... Uh, I just stood there and lied to you. He was like, yeah. your current doctor, you can keep it. I mean, that, that was, was remarkable. remarkable how he did that. Yeah. yeah. I had other words for it at the time, but yeah, I guess we can go with remarkable as a potential term. Go with that as a description. What do you think, Todd? Fake news or not? Oh, it's not fake news at all and i remarked about it during the debate just how hilarious it was that the, it wasn't just the last question they threw in they started both debates ultimately parenthetically talking about what a failure the signature achievement of the first black president was i never thought i'd live to see the day that fox news would describe barack obama's health care policy as quote Delivering health care in a remarkable way. Yeah, you did. <laughs> it's, and it's why you're never invited on Fox News. I mean, this is labeling Obamacare remarkable to own the libs, right? I mean, are we just, are we that desperate to score any political points? Yes. Yes, we are. Labeling Obamacare remarkable. You know who thought Obamacare was remarkable? The uh, 1,037, I think it was. That's the actual number. Uh, The uh, approximately 1,000 Democrats nationwide who lost their elections, um, lost their seats. Those are just incumbents who lost their elections nationwide ever since Obamacare. I bet they thought it was remarkable too. Remarkable. Oh, look, I voted for this and now I'm out of office. Remarkable. I got to get a real job. Remarkable. Unless I'm going to help, you know, slaying hashish and uh, uh, the chronic with John Boehner these days. I got to get a real job. It's remarkable. Remarkable. We've got one more clip and then Pop Culture Tuesday next. You know, millions of Americans are forced to live each day with chronic pain, and this is pain in the body as a result, not of injury, but 
because of inflammation. Now, our bodies were made to push back against inflammation. And that's where relief factor comes in. It's 100% drug-free, even though it was created by physicians who can prescribe drugs. They grew tired of, of prescribing drugs that just treated symptoms. They wanted to come up with something that was a, a natural formula that kickstarted the body's ability to push back and win the fight in the war within it against inflammation. And that's what Relief Factor is. Those four key natural ingredients. I'm a huge fan of this product. I use it every single day myself. It's made a, it's made a huge impact on, on my quality of life. I could not recommend it more highly. If you want to give it a shot, you can get what's called the starter kit. The starter pack is a dollar a day for three weeks, 20 bucks. Just to find out, hey, are, are you starting to see the results? That's all. For just, for just a buck a day, what do you have to lose? Except maybe, finally, hopefully, the pain. If you want to try this starter pack for a dollar a day for just $19.95, go to relieffactor.com. That's the website, relieffactor.com. One more time, relieffactor.com. We've got one more clip before we close out. Fake news or not, we had a wasp delay here in the studio. Now we're back on schedule. The tarp is off the field. All right. Back, we're back to regular action. It One, would be even more funny if, you know, you wouldn't die. <laughs> thank if you. you. Got, if you got stung. Yeah. Thank, thanks. Thanks, I think. Thank you. We got to get some of those, like... It'd also be funnier if you, were in the, if you were in the market for a new job as a producer of a national program. I said, didn't die. Oh, 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 okay. I thought it was the other way around. No. <laughs> okay. You hear what you want to hear. Well, we've been having that conversation all day, right? Projection? Yes. All right, one last clip. Here it is. We're sitting at the table with the Taliban. We, we want to call it a peace deal. They're calling it a withdrawal deal, and critics are calling it a surrender deal. Listen, you can keep a small level of troops there and basically end the war without handing the future of the government to the Taliban. And I know some folks involved in this process, the Taliban's reading this as weakness. That's how they will. They read it that way when I was there in 2011, 2012. They want to take the capital of Kabul over, take over the entire country. If we don't do this right, that's where we could be headed. Todd, you go first this time. Fake news or not? Well, uh, it's it's fake news because I'm the last part. I mean, yep. he he's right that that's going to happen. Uh, it's a very likelihood that's going to happen. But the, 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 if we don't do it right, I and I again, I'll go back to this. I was the guy. I supported. The war in Afghanistan, I supported the war in Iraq. Hard lessons learned, uh, poor assumptions made. Uh, uh, perhaps my, I have had no more false assumptions. I'm not even saying I wouldn't do it again for the assumptions I got right, but I did have some false assumptions. But what, what does doing this right look like? After how many years, Steve? You, you keep the clock on this. How many years? October of 2001. Okay. What, Eight, what it'll is It'll be that? 18 years in October. If nothing else... If we know all the if wrong, you were born the day that yes. we invaded Afghanistan, you are you are going to be eligible. You'll have to register for selective service yeah. here in a few months. What yes. does right look like by now? Nobody. We have less of an idea now than we had then. So I'm hanging on those words. So to that extent, it's fake news. What do you think, Aaron? Yeah, I think I think um, the actual analysis is not fake news. The context of the analysis is so the actually yep. the analysis, which is everything that's going to happen. What Hegseth said, I think, is completely true. So that's not fake news. But the context of it's actually our job to be there. 
that's fake news. That's the context that I believed, at least to some degree, that was presented in. You know, I said earlier in the show, we are the we we created the greatest fighting force in the history of the human species. You mean to tell me after 18 years we could not subdue the country of Afghanistan to the point that if we walk away, this ragtag marauding bunch of thugs called the Taliban just swoop in and take over? For, for shizzle? Yeah. Really? We turn our back for a second and 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 folks who yeah. fight on horseback take over? Yeah. Get the hell out then. I I don't care. I, if if that's really where if if that's really where they're at, we got this is not our problem. Yeah, that's my yeah, point. It can't be done right then. Yeah. If they- I I would be I would actually be open to the notion of leaving a small and, and on a rotating basis, but a small permanent American presence and who the personnel that has to do it ro- is, is the rotating basis. But I'd be open to some kind of a Guantanamo Bay presence there. You know, I'd be open to it. Okay. If I was convinced that we actually knew what we were doing. Yeah. But after 18 years, meaning that we have a presence there that if anybody over there acts up, we have, you know, you wake up in a you know surgical strike and you know a city block of your of, of jihadville is, is suddenly not there right that's what i mean but if you're telling me after 18 years we could not subdue this third world country to the point that if we turn our backs after 18 years a bunch of jihadist thugs screaming quotes from a hadith with simtars on horseback like it's the 12th century takes totally over really get the hell out it's not worth it to me. I mean, it's just, it's not worth it to me. Let's, let's get to Pop Culture Tuesday. This is where we look each week at the intersection between pop culture and conservatism. And I went and saw a movie over the weekend. I've, I have, I've not written my review up for it yet because it, it just seems kind of trite given some of the things that have been going on in the country over the last weekend. But I went and saw uh, Hobbs and Shaw over the weekend. This is The Rock's latest with Jason. I always forget that guy's name. What is it? Is it uh, Statham. Statham. Statham? Statham. That's what it is. Okay. And um, I mean, if, if you if you like watching the PG thirteen versions of Forty Eight Hours on TNT, that's kind of where they where they dub out f bombs and things of that nature. That that's basically what this movie is. It's a total guy flick. It absolutely has its moments where I chuckled out loud a few times. The action se- sequences are, I mean, beyond fantastically not pro- possible, but they're fun to watch nonetheless. It was a fun day at the movies, okay? I and mean, it's we're not splitting atoms here by any chance. It's not going to be on a top 10 list at the end of the year, but it was a fun day at the movies. Would you guys like to know who the villain is in the film? That's Potential spoiler alert. Idris Elba, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, 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 there's more to it, though. Okay. Okay. So Idris Elba is the um, he's a bionic man, and he's a he's a he's he's used to work for the same agency that Jason Statham's character worked for, and um, and he died, and he was made into he was brought back as this bionic man by a secret transnational social media company who has total control over the information that you have access to and the news that you are permitted to see. So it's like Zuckerberg made his own Jarvis Google into has the vision a, Google or something? Has a, Google has a private army. But I, let me go further, though. 
here the here's the private army they have to the end to, to this is the end to the end that they have it this is the goal now you've seen the trailer because they ran this trailer into the ground for like nine months we've been watching this trailer since like the super bowl yeah. okay and the movie just came out last week you know that that what they're trying to do is recover this virus that idris elba's character has that can wipe out half of humanity right so this this so this gigantic social media company that has its own private fighting force that controls what you get to see in the news you get to find out about the reason they have this serum or they want this virus is they want to unleash it on humanity for the goal of wiping out most of the world population so that they can then repopulate it with their more evolved um eugenically superior con uh, new new Homo sapien uh, version of humanity that Idris Elba represents, and all the and and you know all the stuff about overpopulation and overcrowding and humanity is a scourge on the on the on the bio systems and the ecosystems of the planet. Okay, that's that's the villain in the film. Any of this sound familiar? Because it should. Because earlier this summer. In Godzilla, King of the Monsters, which I think is the most underrated movie of the year. I, I, I think it, we enjoyed, Noah and I enjoyed it immensely at the theater. That's going to be a movie, kind of like Kong Skull Island, which is in the same shared universe, that a lot of people didn't go see in the theater. Then when it started showing up on Amazon and Netflix, you were like, this is actually pretty good. How did I miss this? All right? You're going to think the same thing about Godzilla, King of the Monsters. I mean, we really enjoyed it. The visuals and stuff. I mean, this is really the first time Mothra and those characters from your childhood with, with modern technology have been truly done justice, okay? But the villain in Godzilla, King of the Monsters is a radical environmentalist sect who's led by the, the guy who led the Lannister clan, I think it was what they were, the Midgets family, right? Yeah. That always paid their debts, weren't they called yeah. the Lannisters in Game of Thrones? Yeah. The guy who played their, I think he played their dad, Okay. Okay. Who was the the head Lannister? I don't know what that means. Tyrion but. shot him dead on the toilet. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah, yeah I didn't. Re- I didn't remember hearing about that. Yes. Okay. He plays the leader of this sect of radical environmentalists that are unleashing these monsters in order to give a, a reboot, control alt delete of the planet because uh, humanity uh, doesn't deserve to live any longer. That's their driving force. So in both these movies, the villain is a. Ocasio-Cortez white paper. The Green New Deal is the villain in both of these movies. And if that, if you're like, you know, I, why why did I think I saw that as the villain of a movie before Godzilla, King of the Monsters? Well, you did. In fact, it was the driving force of the villain in what is now, if you don't adjust it for inflation, the highest grossing film of all time. It's right out of Thanos' playbook. I mean, we were doing, we were, we were doing the show. I wrote a column at the time. Who said it? I, Thanos or Margaret Sanger, the stuff that he was saying in Avengers uh, Infinity War, overpopulation, uh, drains on resources, uh, and we're just going to do this by blind lottery so we don't practice any kind of racism or anything of that nature and just half of all life wiped out in order to give the half that sustains itself a chance to survive in a universe of finite resources. This is now three Major Hollywood films, different studios with major actors 
that have that have essentially made the Green New Deal, Margaret Sanger, much of the driving force of utilitarian and eugenics ethics, Malthusian ethics that have been at the heart of the Darwinian worldview, particularly in, within the American left in the last 40, 50 years in America. This is now in the last year and a half, less than a year and a half, three monster blockbuster films that had a, a manifestation of popular leftist social theory as the villain. That's three of them now. Okay. How can they possibly not know what they're saying? How? I mean, we had these conversations a few years ago about the Wonder Woman movie with Patty Jenkins. Like, how does she not know Zeus created women because men needed a helper? You know, men were incomplete on their own. Um, all the all the complementarianism that she espouses in the film. Uh, she offers to make herself an atoning sacrifice for Ares, who is a satanic figure who says, yeah, I don't make them do the bad things they do. I just suggest it. And they do them of their own will because they want to do them. They're not worthy of being saved, right? We did that show a million times, right? We don't need to do it again. But, but I, I only bring it up because how, when we were having those conversations back in 2017, we kept asking ourselves, how do they not know what they're saying? Also a movie that came out in 2017, Get Out. And the villain of the film is the white progressive played by one of the cast members of the West Wing, for goodness sakes, the most popular overtly left-wing television show of the last 20 years, probably. And he literally says in the movie, well, I'd have voted for Obama a third time if I could, as he is draining every black person in his presence of their blackness and sending his white daughter out to kidnap them and sexually seduce them so he can then drain them of their blackness and 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 use it for his, him, him and his progressive friends can use it for their own purposes. And we asked when that movie came out, how do they, do they not know what, what their own plots are saying? Well, this is now Buckwheat. Uts, Tice, he times a Haiti here. This is three major blockbuster films. In, in less than a year and a half that have used their own, Hollywood's own preferred worldview and heroes and heroines as constructs for, for villainy in the film. Gentlemen, how can they not know what they're saying? How can they lack this level of self-awareness now? What do you think, Todd? My mind goes a lot of places. But there's, a, there, there's just a certain math to the cosmos there's that great i love i think amistad steven spielberg's amistad is one of the most underrated of not only the steven spielberg catalog but of movies in general and there's a time in there where uh, uh john quincy adams play, played by um you know uh, one of the best actors ever who i can't uh, he plays thor's dad um why am i uh, help me somebody thor's dad I can't oh, remember uh, the Odin. actor's name. Yeah, but, yeah but the actor who plays him. Oh, Anthony Hopkins. Anthony Hopkins, yeah. of course. And he's he tells uh, uh, the the former black uh, slave, uh, played by Morgan Freeman, tell me your story. And it just kind of is like dripping out little factoids, and he stops him. And very kindly, and he's not a kind man, but he's, no, tell me your story. And that's, a, 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 with you know, the story that comes kind of comes out with a soundtrack. It's the thing that convinces hearts and minds. And I just don't think that you can write great stories without 
ultimately by default falling into the truth. Uh, Joseph Campbell, where Star Wars comes from, mm-hmm. yeah, no, no Christian that I know. I mean, but, uh, but he 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 talks about there's no accident why the great stories have similar uh, themes. It's I I think it's the math of the cosmos. Ultimately, I, I think that's the best answer. There's other ones that I think I can come up with that are more uh, conspiratorial almost, but I don't know. They're not as satisfying to me. I just think sooner or later, God makes sure the great stories get out. Aaron, what's your yeah, theory here? I, I mean, let's apply this to a different, to a different industry, to a different uh, trade. Maybe let's say, um, let's say something like woodworking. And I've made this analogy or this allusion before. And, um, Let's say someone is really, really gifted at making coffee tables or end tables, and they're the most beautiful coffee table, just ornate, beautifully, well-manned, handcrafted end tables and coffee tables you've ever seen. And it's, it just it, it inspires awe in you, and you, you, for some reason, you're just blown away by the craftsmanship of this of this of this table it's really a work of art now that talent maybe it was honed for a while but we each would recognize that that talent comes from the lord the person who made that table though is an atheist is a leftist is somebody who believes all of the pagan philosophy of the all the philosophy and the the man-made um, musings of the age does that mean that his works are any less evidence of god's talent in him I would say no, just because the person who's doing it is, uh, you know, an, an atheist. It is may a be pagan. the greatest evidence, it not be, the la- It may be the greatest evidence, actually. So that's the same thing with these stories. These people are talented who do this in Hollywood, are extremely talented. They also happen to be really, really crappy morally people on a lot of levels, a lot of them. Does that mean that the evidence of their work or that, does that mean that their work is any less a, excellent work is any less evidence of their talent that's given to them by their creator? I would say no. That's the I, I think that's the the way we have to look at this. So what I hear you guys you guys are kind of in a way saying the same thing from a different vantage point mm-hmm. that ultimately on some level collectively as a species you can you may be able to individually in certain cases but collectively as a species we we can't help ultimately in resembling the reflection of the of, of, with our gifts of the gift giver yeah, there's part of romans one in there yeah the truth aaron, cannot be known that's what i hear aaron saying and yeah. then you, you're saying that ultimately you want to touch in to or you want to you know reach wide audiences with themes that would resonate with them you know you, you can't help but avoid the greatest story ever told right mm-hmm. to tell the great stories that's going to do it for today. We're going to stick around doing overtime for Blaze TV subscribers for the rest of you at John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.